Well, thank you for being with us this morning. If you'll take a moment and turn in your Bibles, we'll be in the Gospel of John. I'll be in chapter 20. Gospel of John, chapter 20. Indeed, it is a glorious day. He is alive. He is risen. This is Resurrection Sunday. Like we spoke at 7.30 this morning, I'm not sure where the little Easter bunnies come into play, but they're sure fun. Y'all remember the little Easter commercials out there that say, Happy Easter, bark, bark. Yeah. Now you're combining Easter bunnies with birds. I have no idea what that means. But I, I find myself every once in a while walking through the store, it's like, Happy Easter, bark, bark. And they look at me like, you are crazy. So I tell you, Happy Easter, bark, bark. It is a serious day, though, and unfortunately, this is a day when oftentimes we see people we haven't seen for a while, and God bless you if you're one of them. Thank you for being with us if you're listening or here today. This is not to say anything uh, negative about that. We are glad that you're here. We're glad that you're listening. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict you, not mine. It's my job to meditate and pray during the week and say, God, what is it that you want me to present And this is what uh, he gave me. We gave you a perspective this morning on where Jesus was in the sixth hour to the ninth hour, actually, on the cross, and we walked through that. So this is after Jesus died. So we've we've talked about that. We're, We're familiar with the fact that Easter Sunday is indeed the first day of the week, and it is about the celebration of Jesus' resurrection. It is the very foundation upon which Christianity stands. In fact, if the resurrection had not happened, then Christianity doesn't happen. Okay? It is the very hope and foundation of our belief system. Do you, you understand that? If, if you ask somebody if they're a Christian and they say yes and they can't tell you what Easter is, they're not a Christian. I'm sorry, but you're not. This is... The very definition of Christianity, the resurrection, it is the pivotal point in all of history, all of mankind, which is the difference between life and death. This is the difference between knowing God and spending eternity with him or not. And we could give a sermon on the Ten Commandments and how God, through his entire word, has tried to show us the way. But the reality of it is none of us are ever going to do anything good enough to impress God enough to get into heaven. Every other religion, okay, and I don't even like the word, okay, is man-made. And it's designed in a way such that it agrees with the way we operate. And that is, I do something good, I get something good in return. Right? If you've lived long enough, you know that a person who has a generous heart If you're truly a person with a generous heart, if you have the expectation of getting something in return, you're going to be sadly disappointed more times than not. Don't not give, don't not be generous because somebody else is not returning the favor. That is the definition of Christianity. Loving someone when they're not lovable. Doing something for somebody, not expecting anything in return, and that's exactly what Jesus did. You see, Jesus lived a life without sin. We can't imagine that because I can't go an hour without a sinful thought of some type. 
And some of you are going, oh, pastor. No, no. You're not being real with yourself. We all struggle. Jesus knows that. Jesus went to the cross and he died for the very soldiers that put him there. He died for the very religious zealots that put him there. The thief on the cross next to him, at least one of them, eventually said uh, to the other thief, why do you mock him? Do you not realize that what you and I have done, I'm paraphrasing, we are justly deserve our punishment, but this man is innocent. Speaking about Jesus. And this man was so convicted he finally turned to Jesus in all his pain. He says, remember me when you come into your own. When you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and says, this day you shall be with me in paradise. Now there's a Christian man who never served in church once. Never gave a penny. Never sang. Never went to Sunday school. Never read a Bible. His first prayer was to the man himself. Jesus, remember me. There are people in the church today who have come every Sunday their entire lives and still are short of heaven's gate because we're trying to impress God. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to church and doing these things. I'm not discouraging that at all. But get it out of your minds right now that this is the truth of the gospel message. It's not church that saves you. It's the man on the cross. The man on the cross alone. Jesus alone. And I'm not suggesting you wait till your deathbed at all. But I am saying that no matter how big your sin is or what you have done, it doesn't compare to what that thief did. Or what he deserved. You and I are the thief. And Jesus says this day you can be with me in paradise. What do you choose? Some people will hear an Easter sermon. Good sermon. Not think anything more of it. Because it's, 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 it's church. And we separate church from our lives. Don't. I do it. Don't, don't do it. Can we live as believers of Jesus outside these doors? Can we love one another and can we love others? Mary Magdalene loved Jesus. Mary Magdalene is a young lady we're going to be introduced to here in our sermon at least in verse 1 of chapter 20 of John. And it says this, Now on the first day of the week, That'd be today. The resurrection day. So on that first day of the week, this is after Jesus was buried. It says, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She's up early. And I said earlier, Mary Magdalene's mentioned 14 times in the New Testament. More so than most of the apostles themselves. And more so than any other woman. And she's always running around with other women, the other Mary and Joanna and others. And we learned this morning that these followers weren't just the disciples, but were their wives and family members and other women. It's very hard for men to do any kind of traveling without a woman there to pack the bags. And I don't mean that with any disrespect at all, but this is a very patriarchal society. Let's not be fooled into thinking there was just a bunch of men. No, no. The women had a huge role, and you hear a lot of that in all four Gospels, 
regarding this particular time, post-burial. Mary Magdalene was actually from the west side of the Sea of Galilee in an area that honestly was very beautiful, but not a place that you and I would want to associate with. It was a place you would go to have fun. She was probably a prostitute. We know that she was a woman with many sins in her life because at one time Jesus cast out of her seven demons. She's a bad dude, a bad gal, whatever it was. She was disgraced, dishonored. Men got what they wanted from her and they took it. And every man that ever approached her wanted something, but not Jesus. Jesus gave her something. And that something was, listen, dignity. Hmm. A lot of us know exactly what that means. I just want to be treated with dignity. I don't expect anything. Just dignity. And he did. Jesus came to her with no expectations, but rather explained to her who he was. And at that moment, her life changed. She became a dignified woman. And not only did she believe that Jesus was the coming Messiah, she loved him and was committed to him. Through all of it, she married Magdalene for all the sins that she committed was received by Jesus. Jesus called her out, dignified her existence as a person, not as a woman, but as a person, as a human being, as a soul. She was with him at the cross. She was the last one there with the other women as he died on that cross. And she was the first to be with him when he was arisen. What does that say about you and me? Oh, you mighty churchgoers. Oh, I give 20% of my income or whatever. And oh, I do this. And oh, I do. Are you committed to Jesus? Everything else is secondary. This is my goal and my calling to make sure that the people that hear the words that come out of my mouth, the truth of the gospel message, and that Jesus loves you no matter how big your sin is, and he will restore your dignity. You are a child of the Most High God, and nobody can take that from you. If you were the only person to have existed on the planet, he would have died for you on that cross. That's how much he loves you. There is no sin too great for him to cover. But sometimes we, as a community of believers, think that, well, as long as I don't commit this sin, then I'm okay. No, 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 no. Sin is sin. Yeah, in, the, in our eyes, sin is different. I, I get it. There are different levels. But in the eyes of God, sin is sin. None of us, including your pastor, are worthy to the entrance in the gate of heaven to be in the presence of the most holy God without being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, which he shed on the cross for me and for you. 
We must put our faith and trust in Him and Him alone, no matter what it is you're going through. And no matter what you have been through, Jesus stands willing and waiting now for you to simply confess with your mouth that He is Lord. Confess that you are a sinner. Turn to Him. That's why He died on the cross. And He has risen. Mary Magdalene, on the week of the first day of the week, came to the tomb early, indicating her love, indicating her commitment. It was still dark. I don't know about you. This morning when I got up, it was still dark. I didn't feel very committed, right? I felt like I wanted to go back to sleep. Not Mary. Mary, in the back of her mind, she loved Jesus so much. I really believe, and this is just me, she believed he had risen, but she was just waiting to see, did it really happen as he said that it would happen in the scriptures? And while it was still dark, and listen, she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now, this isn't your six-foot burial grave. This isn't a, a place where you put ashes. This is a cave. Okay. And this cave, as we talked about this morning, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and some others, they uh, wanted to properly give Jesus a burial. So they took the body down off of the cross and they prepared it, or beginning to the preparation. They couldn't complete it because it was preparation Sunday. They ran out of time. But they put him in this cave and no one else had ever been there before. In other Gospels, we see and we understand that Pilate had ordered the Roman soldiers to seal it and to be there on guard. So it was not left alone because these silly Jewish people, these silly followers, they might try to steal the body and claim that he was risen and make up some folly story, right? So they wanted to do everything they could to make sure these Christian people, they understood that this man was not the Messiah. Yet when Mary showed up, where are the Roman guards? Where's everybody at? The stone that's too large for any one person to move had been rolled back. So she ran immediately, knowing all of this. She knew that where were the soldiers? The stone had been rolled, too big for one person. She ran and went to tell Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, speaking about John most likely. And she said this to them. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. So she thought maybe they had done what they were accusing his followers of doing. And that was somebody stole the body. So she hasn't fully developed this yet in her mind either. That Jesus has risen. But she's hoping. But the... The natural expl explanation, and all of us would have had it, you show up at the tomb and you go, somebody stole the body. That's the natural response. Even today when we talk about a resurrected body, we talk about it almost as though we believe it happened because we're Christian, and, but I don't know that it can really happen. Does that make sense? We, you don't, we don't really process it. Listen, Jesus was dead. No doubt about that. He was dead. He was beaten. He was bleeding. He was poked and the blood and the water came out. No, not a bone was broken. God bless him. The scripture said it. He was laid in this tomb and 
Where did he go? Again, if you're trying to get a group of people together to follow your cause, this is not the storyline that you're going to give. One, you're not going to use women because, as we mentioned before, women were not valued as high as men were. Sorry, but they weren't. Some of you are saying no, they aren't either, now either. Uh, but anyway, they had no room for testimony. They couldn't give testimony in the court of law. And why would you use women like they're using women? And then why would you put in here that uh, there was some doubt in Mary's mind that uh, somebody else had taken it, perhaps the Romans or Pilate or some of them? Why would you put that in there? I, I'm not. I mean, I'm going to put everything in there and make it look like Jesus is the Messiah, not the other. But because of that, because of the truthfulness, because of the openness and the honesty, you can read all four Gospels and go, wow, wow. Okay, that's very believable because they didn't leave anything out. And there are other writings, if you will, to this degree that are not uh, canonized, they're not biblical, that verify the same thing. People have spent lifetimes trying to prove that Jesus, in fact, did not come back to life, that he wasn't resurrected. And in that journey, listen, in that journey, very secular-minded, very agnostic, sometimes atheistic-minded people couldn't help but turn to receive Jesus because all the evidence pointed to the other side of things. In other words... By digging and trying to define and trying to defeat this concept that Jesus is not real, didn't come back to life, they found out, in fact, he did. In fact, the case is so strong, if it were brought to a courtroom today in America, the evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is alive. Why can't you accept that? We're so smart, aren't we, as people? We've got it all figured out. And we just wipe off the supernatural idea of things. So she said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not where they know where they have laid him. So she's talking not just about herself, but the other women that were with her. So listen to this again. Peter, and we heard this uh, over in Luke. Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb and both of them were running together but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John talking about himself. So Peter and John both ran towards the tomb and stooping to look in, he saw the linen claws lying there but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. Peter, he's always that, he's that guy, he's a... I'm going to do it. I'm going in there. You don't want me to do it. I'm doing it anyway. I'm kind of like that. I'm like, you don't want me to do that? I'm doing it. Don't cross the street. I'm crossing the street. Don't go in that tomb. It says, don't go in. I'm going in. Peter, I'm going in. So Peter goes in. And the linen cloths are lying there. But and it says, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. He saw the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths, but, listen, folded up in a place by itself. (laughs) 
If you ever took a class years ago, and I used to have these back in high school, the proper etiquette for sitting at a table, right? And you heard this at 7.30. Your spoon goes here, you use a fork for this, and this plate goes here. Well, part of that was if you were going to excuse yourself and leave the table for any reason, you had to fold up your linens a certain way, not just, you know, wad them up and put them on your plate, because then if the servants came by, they would assume you were done and they were going to take all your stuff. No, by folding them up and walking out, what you were essentially saying to the servants was, I'm coming back. Whoa, the details we find in Scripture. So this face linen had been folded and placed by itself. What Jesus was saying was, I'm not done. That's what Jesus was saying. I'm still here. I just stepped out for a minute. I love that. I just stepped out for a minute. Hmm. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw the same thing and he believed. <laughs> it says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, listen, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now this is significant. You see, when this was written, at the, at, at the time that this took place, the time that Peter and John looked in, what the scripture is saying is that at that time they didn't understand that he must be risen. But at the time this was written as a preface, as going back, a foreshadowing saying, now we understand. Now we understand what that meant, that face cloth. Now we understand that Jesus indeed had risen. He wasn't stolen. No one took the body. Not the Jews, not the Gentiles, not the Romans, not Pilate, not anybody. Jesus got up himself. Jesus rolled back the stone. If you go to Mark or Luke and Matthew, you'll see different variations of this same story. It's terribly interesting, and it's quite lengthy when you put it all, if you put it in uh, chronological fashion and go through it, it's very interesting. So we're not covering all details that some of you may be thinking about right now, okay? So we're staying in the book of John. We're in, we're in chapter um, 20, verse 11 now. And this is where I want to focus before I let you go here this morning. See where I'm at on my time. Oh, I'm good. I'm only at 22 minutes, which means technically I've lost your attention right now. So we need to start over again. 22 minutes is the length of time I have to get a message out that you remember. So wake up. You got another 20. I'm just kidding. We don't have another 22 minutes. But listen, this is the key at the core of the message. In verse 11, I love this passage of scripture I have for years, but Mary Magdalene, stood weeping outside the tomb, and she, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Verse 13, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? I love the fact that they use the word woman here, and I thought, Many times, why? That's kind of disrespectful. I mean, if I, if I said to my wife, hey, woman, I'm going to get smacked across the face. It's very impersonal. But it grabs your attention. So these two angels said, woman, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? Have you ever been in the presence of somebody who's weeping or crying and, 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 and in your mind it's 
not necessary. And you think to yourself, I wonder, I wonder why she's crying. I've thought that of Julie before my wife. I wonder why, I wonder why she's crying. And some might say, well, because you're an ignorant man. Um, these two angels, honestly, they knew the hope and the joy that they would never be privy to because they're angels and, and that, that, that even you know, Jesus is above the angels and Jesus died for us, not for them. And, and even they were like, well, why are you weeping? Why are you crying? And they meant it very compassion, with compassion. Why are, why are you weeping? And she said to them very earnestly, and first of all, I think two angels appeared. I don't know that I'd be having a conversation, right? But she does. She, she has a conversation. She simply says, rather than, you know, who are these two giant angels standing here in all their phenomenal attire and the light and the aura, and she just says, well, um, Jesus is gone. In fact, she says, they've taken away my Lord. My Lord, they have taken away my Lord. And then she says, and I do not know where they have laid him. She's still thinking he's dead. She just wanted to pay alms to the body, to give it the proper final resting and care that it needed with the ointments and the linens and all that. Because like I say, it hadn't been completed the day before because you were dealing with Passover, you were dealing with... uh, Light issues, realistically, you're just dealing with a timing issue. So she came back very early, still dark, looked in, and where's, where's he at? Now, near as I can tell, that feeling is if you ever go into Walmart or some big store, let's say the mall, or maybe it's someplace you go on vacation, you rent a car, you park someplace you're not familiar with it, and you've been out doing your thing, you got your ice cream cones, you bought a couple of pairs of shoes, maybe a new Bible at the local Bible shop, maybe you're down in the Ozarks or whatever, like I have been. Maybe you get yourself a, a big old uh, big dog sweatshirt from the Ozarks down here. You ever have a big dog sweatshirt? Everybody know what I'm talking about? And then you come out, and you're all excited, and you're like, my car was there. It's a horrible feeling. Where's my car? <laughs> now, this is much grander than that, but Mary, Mary is like, I'm there to... to um, where's the body? This is, what, this is the frame of mind she's in. So she just very casually says they, they took Jesus. Now listen to this. Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around. And she saw Jesus standing. She saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Again, I've had this experience, not with Jesus, but I've had this experience where you're out of town. I used to do a lot of traveling. And you might be on, let's say, the West Coast. Let's say you're out in San Francisco. And you're walking the streets. Get something to eat because you've had a conference all day and you got a couple minutes to tour and you're going to catch up with somebody and you're walking, you know, and all of a sudden you go, they're from Alsi. They're from Whitehall. Wait, 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 Are, aren't you? And for a moment you, you see them, but because of your circumstances, you don't recognize them. You ever had that? 
Come on, we've all had that. Come on. You've seen someone that didn't expect to see him. Maybe you're in Springfield at the mall, and we think, oh, that's big time. We're at the mall at Springfield. And we see somebody from, from Whitehall. We go, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't recognize you. You're out of your ordinary uh, setting. Jesus was not recognized by her. That's as best as I can try to explain it to you psychologically. She saw him, but she didn't see him. How many of you are seeing him, but are not seeing him? You hear about him, you read about him, you might even pray to him, but you don't really know him. You know, the biggest struggle I have as your pastor is spending time with, guess who? Jesus. Because I spend so much time getting ready for Jesus. How is that possible? How can a pastor not know Jesus? I'm not saying I don't know Jesus, but not know Jesus like this, but... Spend so much time doing stuff for Jesus and not really spend time with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. So she doesn't recognize him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. I love this. Verse 15. Listen to the way Jesus addresses her the first time. Jesus said to her, woman... There it is. Oh, Jesus, you can't, no. You can't use that word today in 2022, okay? You can't say woman. Ma'am, miss, hey you, that's okay, but not woman. In the same manner, in the same words, he says, why are you weeping? He's not revealed his identity yet, nor has she recognized it. Woman, why are you weeping? The same question the angels asked of her in a very compassionate, loving way, though we might not read it that way. And then he goes on, whom are you seeking? Who are you looking for? And listen, this is the mind of Mary through the scripture, supposing him to be the gardener. She thought it was the gardener there to Tidy up the place. <clears throat> Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, I love this. She so much misses her Savior. Sir, as she speaks to the gardener, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Do you know how difficult that would be for a woman? or any person, to carry literally dead weight. A 50-pound bag of dog food is plenty heavy for me. And you pick it up, and it shifts in the bag, and it does this. Well, listen, when they're talking about dead weight, pick up somebody who's unconscious, and it's a real struggle. It's like handling wet spaghetti. But she says, listen, just give him to me. I'll figure out a way. I'll take care of him. How many of you are willing to say to somebody, I'll be there for you. I'll take care of it. And then when the time comes, you make an excuse. Not Mary. I guarantee you, if this had been a gardener and he had given her Jesus, she would have done everything she could to take care of Jesus. Physically. Because not only are we serving mentally, not only are we serving emotionally, but sometimes it takes a physical degree of exertion 
sometimes some blood and sweat to do things that aren't convenient. And we're reminded of that here. And that's another sermon. Woman, why are you weeping? If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And listen to verse 16. Jesus said to her, now listen, the switch from the pronoun to the specific object of his voice. Mary. This moment, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Oh, if you're in a crowd, and I can remember being a young child, and mom says, Scott, that gets my attention real quick. My mom is looking for me in a crowd, and she were to say, Hey, son. No. Soon as either one of my parents to this day, and they're still living, praise God, say, Scott, or my mom will say, Christopher Scott, when she's mad. My ears perk up, and I'm immediately aware of the situation and who I'm dealing with. Right? Let me break it down for you a little simpler. I got two dogs in my neighborhood. One's mine, one's my neighbor's. One's named Theo, one's name is Duke. They both look exactly alike. They're both about 150 or about 120 pounds. They're buddies, man. They love each other. They look exactly alike. And if they're out there playing and I want Theo to come in, I don't say, hey, dog. Because I say, hey, dog, or hey, you, they're going to keep running around. As dumb as animals can be, and as loving as we love them, they recognize their names. So they're playing, they're doing their thing. Hey, Theo! Guess what he does? Ears go up, tail goes up, he turns, and he says, the heck with you, I'm going to keep playing. <laughs> but he recognizes his name. Even a dog does. This is a very loving passage of scripture and the heart with which Jesus loves each of you. He knows you by name. Listen, listen, you're not just a man or a woman. You are who you are. And Jesus will meet you right where you're at. You don't need to do anything to impress him. You don't need to be more like somebody else. Just be like you. Jesus will meet you right where you're at. Whatever is breaking your heart, whatever it is that you are pursuing, Jesus knows it and he wants to be a part of it and he will come and answer and help. She's ecstatic. Jesus said to her in verse 17, don't cling to me. He's, he's being very pragmatic here. In other words, he's getting right to the point. He says, listen, don't cling to me. Don't hang on to me. 
I have yet ascended to the Father. I haven't gone to heaven yet. He's letting her in on a little secret. She's the first to see the risen Lord. She was the last to see him die. She's the first to see him risen. Why would you ever use a prostitute with seven demons from the Sea of Galilee, West Side, prostitute city, Sin City, to tell the story and be the first one that Jesus proclaimed he is risen to so that we all know that none of us have, none of us have sinned so greatly that Jesus won't come to you in your time of crisis. Who are you seeking, he says. Who are you looking for? We could all stand to ask that question of each other. Don't cling to me, for I have yet, not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, she says, you go tell the guys, I am ascending to my Father. And he says, and your Father Because if you believe in Jesus, then you believe in the Father. The Son and the Father are inseparable. You cannot get to the Father, but through the Son. And Jesus says, because I love the Father, I'm going back to him, and I know you love him too. He's my Father, but because of your trust in me, because your trust in Jesus, he's also, listen, your Father too. No more temple worship. Three days, I'll tear this temple down and rebuild it. And he did. He says, I'm ascending to my father and to, my, and to your father, to my God and your God. And in verse 18, as we wrap up, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Oh, man. Good stuff. Happy Easter, Bach, Bach. Doesn't quite, it's not quite as funny now in this solemn moment, is it? As our musicians come forward...